Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. I'm Mike Menninger, the host, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. I'm joined again this week with Kyle Ryan, one of my associates. Thanks for coming coming along again. Yeah, thanks again. And, and thanks for chiming in as much as you did last time. <laughs> I'm horrible at that. I'm horrible at that. I'm going to try to give Kyle more of an opportunity because really this is his bailiwick. I mean, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, buying your first home. And, you know, there's a lot of facets. I mean, we obviously, uh, we guide, we don't do mortgages, don't do mortgages, don't want to do mortgages, but we understand how the mortgage process works. And from a financial planning perspective, we try to guide our clients into understanding. Again, we're, we're all about believing and learning and understanding, you know, what are the things that you need to know before buying the home? And, you know, I remember when I bought my first home, I was in my 20s, and there were things I wish I knew before I actually bought it. So hopefully uh, we could provide some, some thought uh, to people who are thinking about buying their first home and understanding a little bit about the mortgage process. Not so much the mortgage process. By no means are we mortgage experts, but we understand conceptually how the mortgage works. But mortgage guy or mortgage person, mortgage gal is going to be able to walk you through the different programs they have. So, you know, let's kick this bad boy off. So when you want to buy your first home. Yep. So when you want to buy your first home, I mean, it's, you know, it's a really daunting thought, really. I mean, it's the single greatest purchase for most people in their lives. Um, you know, it's usually your biggest asset. And going into the first one, you're, you're clueless, right? You're scared. You have no idea what you're doing. You want to make sure that all this money that you've saved for your first home is going into a good place, right? You know, it's, and it's a serious lockup, you know? You, you're in there for a set amount of time, and it's a big commitment. So. And the other thing you don't want to do is overbuy. You know the old <laughs> saying, house rich and uh, poor. Money poor. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so, you know, the first thing you really look at, you know, if you're going to ask yourself, is it the right time for me to get my first house, is can you get your first house, right? You need to qualify for your mortgage. Now, what's really important when you do qualify for your mortgage? You know, the bank, who you're going to get your loan through, is going to say you need to be credit worthy. Therefore, they right. look at your credit so, score. So, right, I'm not going to lend you money if you have a, hear, a, a history of stiffing people. And, <laughs> exactly. and, and you know what? There's actually a way of measuring that. And what's that called? And that would be your credit score. That credit score, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Right? So, yeah, I mean, your credit score is quintessential in getting a home. I mean, or getting a loan of any kind. That's correct. You know, it's in order to get a loan, you have to be credit worthy. So, you know, there's different things that you can do to improve your credit score. Right. And, you know, there is a golden score from what I've heard for a mortgage. You know, generally, you want to be around the 640 to 660 range. You if, don't want to be around it. <laughs> you want to you be above it. You can't afford to be below it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are, you know, there's a lot of programs available for people who do have, you know, low credit or low income or low savings. And, you know, we aren't, like Mike mentioned, we're not specialists in these mortgage programs. They vary by state. But, you know, by being able to get your credit score where in a good place, you know, you, you position yourself much better. Well, yeah, and not only that, but, you know, if you have a history of always paying people back, I'm less concerned about lending you money. Yeah. But if you have a history of stiffing people, then I'm going to be reluctant. I'm going to be very cautious. 
and I'm going to charge you a higher rate. Yeah. And and that's how the banks operate. And it sounds mean, but it's the truth. They're taking a higher risk. Taking you on. That's correct. But if you have a very good credit score, then you're more credit worthy. Now, yeah. that's a wonderful thing that, you know, you have a great history of paying people back. But if I'm about to lend you money for a mortgage, are you capable of paying me back? That's right. Well, so what comes into there? So then, you know, they take a look, you know, once your credit score is okay, great, wonderful. Well, your credit score could be fine and well, but do you actually make money? What? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have an income that shows that, you know, you can afford a mortgage? The bank looks at this. They want to make sure that, you know, you're making money. And more importantly, they want to make sure you're not spending more than you make. That's right. You know? So, That's right. So can you afford the house? Can you afford it? They look at your income and expenses. That's correct. And from there, they get a wonderful little formula called a debt-to-income ratio, which, you know, we'll cover a little bit more afterward. Correct. Yep. So, yeah, it's long and short of it. Can you pay and will you pay? Yeah. So, generally speaking, um, when it comes to mortgages, um, they have, uh, you want to have 20% down, yep. okay? Yep. And what this slide here illustrates is, and I just picked the $300,000 home, trying to make the math reasonably easy, but there's no such thing as $100,000 homes out there anymore. So if you have a $300,000 home, um, rule of thumb is that if you can keep your loan to value, and that's LTV, below 80%, then what's going to happen is, a couple things. Number one is your mortgage interest rate is probably going to be a little lower. And you also avoid PMI, private mortgage insurance. I have my own acronym for it, which I can't really say on TV, but it's um, throwing money away. How's that another word for it? Right? So um, you try to avoid that because you know, you're just literally throwing money away. So if you get 80% or sorry, 20% down, then you're effectively borrowing 80% of the value of your home, yeah. which means in this particular instance, I'm using 300,000, which means you got to come up with 60 grand, not okay. a small number. No, it sure isn't. Okay. And then the remaining 80% is the mortgage. Okay. All right. Now there are first time home buyer programs. And those are the types of things we encourage you to seek out someone who does mortgages, okay? And there's also talk about creating incentives for first-time home buyers as a government incentive. What, yep. what is that they're talking about? Yeah, there's a credit for a first-time home buyer. I mean, this is all speculative, first of all, but you know, yeah. there could be a ten, you know, the ten thousand dollar credit where you know, <laughs> how is it ten? Yeah. I thought it was fifteen. Okay. Oh, you know, again, speculation. Yeah, right. But Who knows? Yeah, you right. know, it could help for down payments, and you know, like Mike said, there's programs where instead of the twenty percent down, you can get three and a half percent. Right. Down. You're always sacrificing something if you don't have money up front, and that's where a mortgage broker can help you. Right. Through. Absolutely. Now, the reason why I throw this one out is there are people who may be, uh, may not be their first home. Yeah. Okay. Or they do have money, whether it's an inheritance or what have you. They have assets to be able to put twenty percent down. But sometimes there may be a way to avoid PMI without actually having 20% down. Okay. And that's if you were to take from 80% to 90% in a form of a second loan. It could be a home equity loan, which is a fixed payment for 15 or 20 years, or it could be a home equity line of credit. And that is a variable payment. It's generally lower. And you know, today's the lowest interest rates that we've had, 
and what is it, two and three quarters percent is prime, and that's what it's based on. So if you hear the government raised interest rates a quarter percent today, guess what? Your home equity line of credit went up by a quarter percent. Um, but here's an opportunity where you can stack the second 10% on top so that you're really only pulling 10% down on your mortgage. Now, would this effectively give you two different loans? It does give you two different loans, exactly. Sometimes when you go through the mortgage process, they'll do it right at the same time. Okay. In fact, usually they'll do it right at the same time. But the good news is that you only have to come up with 10% down. Now, of course, you still have closing costs. And closing costs vary, but your closing costs in Pennsylvania, you're going to have to pay 1% transfer tax. You know you're about 1%. Then you've got all of the taxes and the, the stuff that has to go into your escrow. You know, rule of thumb is you have to come up with about 3% of the value of your home or what you're buying. You have to come up with 3%. So in this case, a $300,000 home, well, 3% is 9,000. So that's not an easy thing to do to be able to come up with $9,000 plus 10% or 20%. But the long and short of it is in this particular instance, this individual by having 20% down, even though 10% of it is actually satisfied by another loan, they're gonna save probably about $150 a month. That's $150 a month just in PMI, which is throwing money away. So understand this. now. What happens here with the mortgage in, in today's interest rates, roughly 3%, but they are on a slide up, okay, is a rule of thumb is that the cost of your mortgage is somewhere on the order of four and a half dollars for every dollar you borrow. Yep. So if you were borrowing $200,000, that's not exactly this, um, uh, this example, but if you're borrowing $200,000, Four and a half bucks, that means your principal and interest payment is going to be $900 a month. Correct. Correct. So, um, how about that? So, (laughs) imagine that. It's the next slide. What are the odds? So, and how about that? I used $200,000. Amazing. (laughs) It's funny how these things happen. So, anyway, so in this particular instance, let's figure out what the estimated monthly mortgage payment is. And a lot of folks like yourself, you think about it, say, gee, you compare it to what your rent is. And you say, well, how much is my mortgage payment going to be? And so you can reasonably figure this out. It's not hard to figure out. Again, I'm using a round number of four and a half dollars per month per thousand you borrow. So in this instance, in this example, I tried to make it a little bit easier in that I used a $200,000 mortgage. So that could be a $250,000 home where you put 20% down and your mortgage is 200. So at four and a half dollars, what happens is that your monthly principal and interest only is $900. So what that does is that means for 30 years, I am paying $900 and that mortgage is done. But they also have what's called escrow. And the escrow, believe me when I tell you, if the bank is lending you $200,000, they want to protect their investment, okay? Which means you can bet bottom dollar, they want to make sure that your homeowner's insurance is paid. And because if that house burns down, bank's out 200 grand. Yep. That's, they're not in the business of losing money, take my word for it. 
So what they'll do is they'll, how do they make sure you pay your insurance? They pay it for you. They pay it for you. <laughs> That's right. But do they really? But do they really? Right. You're, exactly. Do, they're not really that kind. They're just paying it on your behalf, but you're actually paying them, as well as the property taxes. Okay, so if you are delinquent on property taxes, guess what? Government doesn't like when you don't pay taxes. Yep. And guess what? The government can seize the property. So what happens here is you have escrow. And in the example that I used here is I assume that the property taxes on this property are $4,800 a year, which in this case is $400 a month. And homeowner's insurance, quite frankly, does not vary that much from home to home, except if you happen to live like at the Jersey Shore or you're in a floodplain where there's, or in tornado zones and hurricane zones, you know, we don't have that problem around here, but you know, mortgage, your homeowner's insurance is usually roughly $100 a month. So in this particular instance, it adds up to $1,400. That's your monthly mortgage payment. And interestingly enough, a lot of times that's about how much people are paying for rent. And, you know, I would much rather own my home than rent my home. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot to be said about it. In fact, you know, for decades, the, the reason why the federal government has provided tax advantages is it's been demonstrated that it creates a more stable economy if people own their home. Yeah. And certainly Lowe's and Home Depot and all those, they love when you own a home because you're constantly going there to buy new windows, this, and heater units and electrical and switches and all that stuff, okay? Yeah. And so that actually is very good for the economy. So in the example that I had previously used, uh, the mortgage payment that you're going to be making is your principal and interest component, which is actually paying off the loan. And then there's the escrow which is paying off the property taxes and the homeowner's insurance. So in the example that we used, what's happening here is that you're actually paying $500 a month to the mortgage company who holds your money, and when the taxes are due, they pay it. When the homeowner's insurance is due, they pay it. So what you're doing is you're not overpaying, but what's happening is that between the two, you know, it's $500 a month, which is $6,000 a year. You're just paying it to the bank for them to hold it and make the pay, uh, payments for you. So this is the mortgage payment, which becomes part of the calculation of can you afford this payment? And remember, too, it's can you afford it and can the bank think you can afford it? So, you know, we discussed qualifying for a mortgage. Now it comes to actually being able to pay for the mortgage, right? You know, your credit score got you so far. But now the bank takes a look at, once again, how much do you make? How much do you spend? And what most banks really look for is that, you know, you're not spending more than 50% on what is referred to as recurring monthly payments, right? So if you make, say, $60,000 a year, what are recurring monthly payments? Can you oh, give us well, an example yeah. of that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So recurring monthly payments is very important. You know, that could be something like uh, your car loan, yep. your minimum credit card payments. They even rope your student loans in there. One percent generally of your entire student loan, they say you can afford per month. So, you know, they take all these different things. What they don't take is your rent. So, you know, don't don't think, you know, you include your rent in this because take myself, for example, if I'm going to be renting a home and going to buying a home, 
I don't think when I'm buying a home, I'm still going to be paying that yeah, you're rent. You're probably anymore, not going to pay rent right? anymore. That doesn't yes. make sense, does it? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, these are recurring monthly expenses right. so that basically, are going nowhere. Your debts. Yes, your debts. Your yeah. debts. By the way, also, they include homeowners associations. Okay, yeah. and that's something not to forget. Townhouses in any type of community oftentimes has an HOA fee of a couple or a few hundred dollars. That's added into. Yep. Yeah. So you know, you take a look at this, and it's really important to really understand, you know, how much can you can afford. And you know, the bank may say, you know, going back to the <coughs> estimated, bless you, the estimated mortgage calculation. You know, the bank may say you can afford a two hundred thousand dollar house. But if at the end of the day, you know, you're paying $1,000 in rent and your estimated monthly payment for the house is $1,400, just because you can pay for it, according to the bank, doesn't mean you should. Right. And, and, that, goes back that, to, and yep. that goes back to, you know, a knowing, house. Knowing well, going in. Exactly. You know, and exactly. That's, that's what we were discussing. Um, I knew it when I bought my first house. They told me, Mike, you can afford this house. I'm like, yeah, you think I can afford yeah. this house. I, I can't afford a mortgage payment like that. And so, uh, you know, we always encourage, particularly people who are buying their first home, be careful not to overbite because that could be problematic. Yeah. You know, and, and just know what you can afford before the process starts. But go back to the debt to income. So they calculate, the mortgage company calculates your income. Yeah. And they just very simply take the gross income, not your take home, the gross okay. income. Uh, yep. So if you're making $60,000 a year, that's $5,000 a month. Yep. So you're getting $5,000 a month and say, you know, all your credit card, your car loan, all these other recurring payments comes out to $2,500 a month per se. Then boom, you're at what's referred to as a 50% DTI. Or debt to income, debt right? Debt to income, yep. So then you can, you know, most banks will say, okay, you're okay to afford a mortgage. Right, but. You can. But, well, they say, but. That's if you have a very good credit score. That is true. And that, so again, yep. the bank reserves the right that if your credit score is not very high, they may say, well, you know what? We would rather see you with a 40%. Debt to income. Yes, and it could always vary. Yes, you're right. It, it's always varying there. And, you know, another thing that a lot of people aren't aware of, I have friends who come to me saying, hey, Kyle, you know, I've been thinking about buying a house, but at the same time, I want to get a Tesla. You know, so <laughs> what do I do first? You certainly do not add on <laughs> a Tesla before you get a house, because think about it. You're adding a, a huge monthly expense. If you're going to go and try and buy your first home, you do not add monthly expenses before you Well, get and there's two reasons why. Number one is that you're going to probably have a hard time passing the debt to income. And number two, how in the world are you going to afford both of them? <laughs> you know, exactly, I mean, there's, yeah. there's the practical sense, and then there's that sense. Yes. But let's say you are, I want to say dumb to buy a Tesla. Let's say you decide to extend your credit more. The funny part about it is that the the mortgage company is far more likely to apply the DTI than a car company. Yes, they want to absolutely. sell you that car. Yeah, they want the car out. They, yep. want, they want that car yep. off the lot. There's all kinds of salespeople making a commission on selling that car to you. Yep. So, no, and, you're actually correct. Absolutely and, correct. You know, another thing that also impacts your debt to income ratio, you know, I recently was speaking with a client of ours who wanted to get a house by himself, and he's th considering having his girlfriend move in with him. He's, he says he can't qualify for the house himself. Do I potentially, you know, put her on there, right? Right. Well, then all of a sudden, yeah, your income jumps up. 
right? Wonderful. You can qualify for probably more. Well, you know, you also have to consider your expenses. Your, you know, both of your expenses, the two people on the loan would be considered. Right. Exactly. And not only that, you know, your credit scores are impacted. If you come in with a stellar credit score and, you know, the other person on the loan has a much lower one, well, depending on the bank, they're going to take the lower of the two or somewhere in the middle, which, you know, could negatively impact you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, it happened to me when I bought my first house. So we weren't married yet, but it didn't matter. Okay, we're, we're literally, huh, you want to talk about stress? Closed on the house one week before the wedding. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah, okay, that's, good. That's yeah, right. good. <laughs> so um, she lost her job because she was moving. They needed to lay somebody off. They laid her off. Okay. Right? So what happened was we're now down to one income. income. Yeah. Miraculously, well, actually, no big deal, but as you indicated, somewhere along the line, she was a co-signer to her mother's mortgage. Ooh. So now yeah. what we're doing is we're using my income only, the cost of the house, whatever loans we may have had, but I'm considered responsible for that mortgage payment. Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. so now we had to do some scrambling at the last minute. So lots of considerations. If you have a second person involved, you know, as you pointed out, if, if one person has a 780 credit score and the other person has a 680 credit score, they're going with the lowest. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're planning on buying a house with someone else, you need to be cognizant and aware of that. And, you know, in that particular instance, it was too late for us to take her off her mother's mortgage. If we knew, these are some of the things that you want to plan well in advance of actually buying a house. And other considerations I want you to share because you took the time to talk to your peers, your friends who just got done buying a house and they're like, if only I knew. Yeah. So why don't you share what you, you came across with your friends? Yeah, so you know, the first thing a lot of people told me is you know, work from the bottom up. What does that mean? You know, start with your payment. Don't get, don't, you know, look at a $300,000 mortgage house and say, okay, I can afford this. Yeah, the bank says you can afford it. The bank it. says you can afford it. Know what your monthly payment is right. going in. Know what you can afford, you know? Right. That is first and foremost. Of, above anything at all, make sure you can afford a house if you're going to live with it and commit yourself to it. Correct. You know? Absolutely. Another thing, you know, you have to consider really the market that you're in. You really have to consider the people around you. You know, if it's your first time buying a home, which I will add, you know, first time home buyers um, is not just your first time buying a home. It's just if you're buying a home within the last three years. Little caveat there. Is it so. three or is it two? It is three. Okay. Yep. Okay. yep. So, um, yeah, so if you're buying a home and it's your first time buying a home within the first three years, this all applies to you. It's not just for the first time. It really um, applies to anybody when any it comes to this. Exactly, exactly, yep. So, you know, with that being said, you know, a good team of advisors, if, no, if you're not a mortgage specialist, you know, there's people out there who do what they do to assist you for a reason. And, you know, there's plenty of good advisors out there that can help you along the way. I mean, myself, I, I'm well-versed in, you know, finance, but it doesn't mean I know everything about buying a house. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Good realtor. A yep. realtor can then go around and help you understand the taxes, the school districts, yep. uh, all that. One of the things that uh, we recommend all the time to people who are considering buying is you really don't want to buy a home if you don't think you're going to be there at least five years. Yes. In fact, uh, the value, if you sell the house, it has to grow by 10% 
for you to break even. Okay. Because you paid 1% to get in, 1% to get out from taxes, yep. and 6% for realtor. Okay? And then 10%, it has to go up 10% because once you pay that, it brings it down to your original cost. Yeah. And so if someone is uncertain about their career, then the last thing you want to do is buy a house because you basically just wrap the ball and chain around your ankle yeah. because you're almost forced to live there because the hassle and the cost of selling and moving is not cheap. Absolutely. And so yeah. it really is a commitment, not just a financial commitment. So the other thing, um, as I've learned, is there's a lot more to costs to owning a home. Okay, when you own the home, guess what? The water heater breaks. I'm not picking up the call and not calling a landlord. Yep. Okay, I gotta mow the lawn. I've gotta maintain, you know, painting and things break and roof needs to be repaired. There's maintenance items. You know, I've heard 2% of the value of the home is your annual maintenance costs. It seems high, but for those people who've been in a home for long enough, believe me. So those are a lot of the additional things to consider. And, you know, talk about the housing market. My goodness. Oh, you know, I mean, I'm not a realtor by any means, but every realtor I've talked to thus far says we're in the most unique housing market in, what, 30 plus years? You know, it's it's on fire. Um, you know, And it really depends where you are. So, you know, I have friends who are trying to get houses in the suburbs. Well, so is everyone else because yeah, lately exactly. you get people moving out of the city. And what happens for someone like myself, you know, a young individual with low cash savings that's, you know, just trying to buy their first time home. You get people moving out of the city who have cash buyers who are moving into a home with cash. You know, it's, it's, you know, you really have to know the market and having a good realtor will really help you. Um, I had a, I recently talked to a buddy of mine who, um, before he had a realtor, he was shopping around, um, he was putting in offers for homes. And what other realtors were doing was he had offered too high and they were taking his offer and like shopping it around basically to get other offers increased to help negotiate. Right, it's crazy. So you have no idea without, you know, proper assistance what you're really doing, you know? And of course you can do research at home, but you know, you really want to know the market um, and you know, it's right, a good realtor. Just because housing rate, interest rates are the lowest they've been for a very long time, um, doesn't mean you should really jump into a house because the price of the home is therefore inflated. Right. So there's, there's so many different considerations. You really have to know the market you're getting into, um, the area you are. You know, taxes aren't, you know, the same everywhere you go. They might be lower here and higher in another area. Because, and if you think you have a $1,200 monthly payment you can afford and you're only looking in one area and you decide on a house elsewhere, that has to be something, you know, you consider. Yeah. Well, all right, it's time. We've got to wrap up. <laughs> right. yeah, we can talk about this for a long time. Yep. Uh, thank you for joining us. And um, uh, we look forward to having you back next week. And uh, if you have any questions, I, I encourage you to reach out uh, to your advisors and you know, get the best advice you could possibly get. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week. Again, I'm your host, Mike Menninger, with my associate, Kyle Ryan. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.